check with us. Uh, I've so appreciated uh, him, the relationship that uh, I've been able to build with him, the things I've learned from him and even from his leadership style and uh, knew that he would do a great job uh, ministering to you and he did. And so today we're going to jump back into the journey. So if you've got your books, go ahead and grab those. Um, there are still copies available. If you lost yours or you did not get one uh, out on the table, there are, are more books there. Uh, books two and three are out there as well. And so if you've not picked up your copies of books two and three yet and begun to pray for your spiritual baby to be born, as we've talked about, uh, our commission as all of us who follow Christ is to make disciples. That's right. All that call on the name of Jesus are called to make disciples of other people. I'm going to say that again, and then you say amen, okay? All who are followers of Jesus are called to make disciples of other people. Amen. There you go. Now, whether you believe me or not, I don't know, but at least you obeyed and said amen. Um, and so, take those books. I'm serious. Take those books and begin to pray for a spiritual baby to be born in your life that you can help disciple. Now, if you've already got a plan for how to make a disciple, you don't have to use those books. Nope. They're not like the only thing out there. If you've got another system to make a committed follower of Jesus Christ, praise God, keep doing it. But if you don't, use the books. They're great. And so, today we are starting part two, and there's a question that I want you to take a minute, and I want you to talk to the people around you, and it, it says, what makes a great Christian? What makes a great Christian? So I want you to literally take 60 seconds and uh, maybe write some things down, turn to the people around you and say, hey, what do you think? What makes a great Christian? Ready, go. All right. A lot of discussion out there. Maybe it's about lunch or what you're having after church, but maybe it was about what makes a great Christian, and maybe a lot of different things come to mind when you think about that. Maybe people come to mind. Maybe uh, parents or people that used to take you to church when you were a kid or somebody that was a Sunday school teacher, uh, someone who really instilled some things in your life. So maybe for you, it's not like a, a thing. Maybe it's a person that uh, kind of emulates that. But the book gives us some thoughts. Maybe, maybe you uh, said these, but someone who prays, someone who goes to church, someone who reads the Bible, someone who gives their resources, someone who serves others, someone who lives a good, good moral life. And yeah, all of those could be marks of a Christian, but they don't really distinguish us as Christian. Because you can be an unbeliever and pray. You can be an unbeliever and read the Bible. You can be an unbeliever and really live a good moral life. You, I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to do some of the things that we've talked about as maybe uh, what a good Christian looks like or does, because those things can be done by non-Christians too. And so the book for part one or part two goes into a little bit deeper that Christianity is, all, is more about what we are than what we do. It's all about relationships. It's about the relationships we have with the Father. It's about the relationships we have with the body of Christ. And it's about the relationships that we have with the, the world around us. And so all three of those are going to be talked about in part two. And out of part one, there's a review right there in your book if you look at it. Um, it says that all of the gospel is about relationships. All of the gospel is about relationships. And then they list it. This is kind of a review from part one. Humanity was created for relationship with God. 
Our sin separated us from that relationship. There's nothing we can do to reconcile this relationship on our own. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus rose from the dead that we might have eternal life. And Jesus offers eternal life, that forgiveness, to all who repent and believe. All who acknowledge that we are in this condition where we've broken God's law. We need what Christ did. We need that sacrifice. We accept that and we put our trust in him. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 kind of comes out of the part one, again, that review, that all, we are all like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's the gospel. The gospel in a nutshell is really all about being restored into right relationship with God the Father. All about giving us eternal life. And if you remember, we've redefined eternal life because many of the times that we were growing up, we talked about eternal life as what happens after we die. See, for most of us as Westerners, we think of eternal life as what happens after the physical life stops. But for Easterners, for the Jews, for the Hebrews, they thought of eternal life not in terms of like when it starts, but in terms of a quality of life. So when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to have eternal life? He's not saying, what do I have to do to get into heaven? He's saying, what do I have to do to get the quality of eternal life in my life now? Now they recognize, yes, there's an afterlife, but that's just an extension of the eternal life that begins now. In John chapter 10, Jesus says the thief, the adversary, comes to steal, to slaughter, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Literally, that they might have eternal life. In John chapter 17, verse 3, when Jesus is praying, he said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And as we continue through this journey, we're going to talk over and over again about relationships because relationships are the essence of the gospel. If I am in right relationship with the Father through Jesus, then everything else in my life is going to work better. It's going to, uh, I'm going to live eternal life. I cannot live eternal life unless I'm connected to the tree of life, the Father. Life comes from Him. And then as we start talking about other relationships, the relationships we have with people in the body of Christ, the relationships we have with the world, I'm going to promise you as we talk about them, if my relationships with people in the body of Christ are not good, if they're out of, out of kilter or if they're broken, chances are, more than likely, there's something wrong in the relationship here. Because if this is right, then these are right. But when I don't understand this, when I don't understand the mercy and the grace that I've received from Him, then I don't extend it to others. And so then I become less merciful to others. I become maybe nitpicky of others or critical of others because I don't recognize how God has treated me. So i got to make sure this is good so that these are good. Does that make sense? And so we'll, we'll spend three weeks talking about relationships, and I'm going to call it the relational wisdom, if you will. And we're going to start first with the, the relationship we have with the Father. Over the last couple of weeks, I've showed you the, the picture of the tables and the three tables that represent these three relationships. Because here at Restoration Church, a key verse for us has been 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. This verse says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Encourage one another. Be of the same mind. Live in shalom. That word is translated peace. And the God of love and shalom will be with you. Ultimately, we believe as, as, as a church body that our job as Christians is to aim for restoration. Restoration would be the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Eternal life. Shalom. Shalom is not just peace, it's wholeness. It's wellness. It's goodness. It's everything that's penned up in salvation. The, the writers of the New Testament talk about um, pursuing not just salvation, but the things that accompany salvation. Healing, deliverance, breakthrough, joy, hope, peace. All of these things are wrapped up in the kingdom. They are not separate from the gospel. They are the gospel. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is that the kingdom of heaven has come near because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's here. The kingdom can be stepped into. Yes, one day it's going to be fuller and we're going to step into it. Our faith is going to be made sight. But we aim for restoration now. And we walk that out. And we walk that out in these three ways, these three tables. We sit at the table of intimacy with the Father. We sit at the table of communion with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We sit at a table of connection with the people in the world. We are not called to distance ourselves from people in the world. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ, reaching the people in the world. They are our mission. And if we don't connect with them, we're not going to be able to reach them. Jesus sat at all three of these tables. And he sat at all three of them at the same time. We have to recognize these, these three things. And as we go through the next couple of weeks, hopefully that's going to become a little bit more clear. And so today, I want to, I want to talk about sitting at the table of intimacy. And I, I've titled this, Opening the Conversation. Opening the conversation. There's really a dual meaning of that, that phrase. And uh, we're going to talk about prayer. Prayer, at its simplest definition, is communicating with God. There is no relationship without communication. Period. There is no relationship without communication. And so if we don't pray, communicate with God we have no relationship with Him. I mean, we may have started a relationship by putting faith in Jesus, but the relationship only grows and is maintained through communication. God is always talking to us. The question is, are we listening? That's an aspect of prayer. We also need to talk to Him, communicate to Him. That's an aspect of prayer. And all of that builds this conversation. Uh, I'm right now reading a, a new book, a brand new book by Addison Bevere. If you remember Addison, he wrote another book that we read together at one point. And I actually reached out to him and said, dude, can I, can I steal from your book? <laughs> Not steal, borrow. Uh, because there's a chapter in this book, and his book is called Words with God. Um, fantastic book about prayer, communicating with the Father. Um, but there's a chapter called Opening the Conversation. And I'm like, I need to steal your chapter title and make it my sermon title. And I'm going to quote him often through this sermon today. It just so happened as I was putting notes together and as I was reading this book, as so often happens in my life, coincidentally, things just begin to come together. Um, it's almost like someone says, hey, you should read this book. And then I start reading it and I'm like, hey, that's going to go really great right here in my life. Or that's going to go really great with what we're talking about at church. And boom. Um, and if you're part of Bema tonight, this is just going to pick up right where we left off. Um, this is all going to go together in a great day. And so coming back to this idea of opening the conversation, I don't know what you think about when you think about prayer. Um, for some of you, maybe you have good memories. Maybe you have memories of a breakthrough, a time that you were healed miraculously through prayer or a time that someone was delivered or saved through prayer. I mean, I've watched miracles happen as people have prayed, sometimes in an instant and sometimes long term. Like I've watched my mom pray for some family members that were so far away from God that you just thought uh, none of them, they wouldn't be saved. I had one cousin that was actually an exotic dancer and we were in church one Sunday night um, and uh, like I noticed out of the corner of my eye, I was on this, this platform playing my trumpet in the worship orchestra and I noticed someone come in the back door dressed in black. Well, she was dressed in black exotic wear from her, her dance that she was doing, but she became so convicted by the power of God that she didn't know what to do. So she came to church where her mom and her aunt were and maybe praying for her and she came to their row and said, I don't know what to do and they walked her to the front and knelt at an altar right where I was sitting and I'm like wow like how does that happen that's the power of prayer and for some of you maybe that's what you think about but for some of you maybe you're the opposite end maybe what you think about is the times that God didn't come through maybe the time you prayed and that person didn't get healed and passed away or maybe that time that you, you prayed and prayed for that loved one and things are just kept getting worse and worse and worse and then a divorce happened 
I mean, I don't know what you think about when you think about prayer, but maybe you think about rules and religion and drudgery and difficulty, and so prayer's not something that, that excites you. But no matter what comes to mind, I'm guessing as Christians, we all know we ought to pray. So we read about prayer, and we study about prayer, and we go to conferences about prayer, and culturally we even say, hey, I'll be praying for you, and it's okay to say I'm going to be praying for you. But the question is, do we actually pray? Because there can be no relationship without communication. And it's in prayer that we learn to hear His voice. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. But far too many of us don't know his voice because we don't spend time communicating with him, and then we just follow whatever voice we think sounds like his voice, and we end up with brokenness and despair and hopelessness and shame, and we create a mess in our lives. And then when our back's against the wall, we cry out in prayer, and because we have a God that is so faithful, he responds. He doesn't doesn't stand up in heaven and say, you know, you were supposed to be praying all along, and because you didn't, I'm just going to let you suffer there a little bit, and then I'll respond to your cry. We serve a God that hears the cry. And when you are in a mess, man, cry out to Him. Don't wait till you get your prayer life together to start crying out. Just cry out to Him. But prayer has to be a part of our lives, and so we have to talk about the D word. Discipline. Yep. Yep. Discipline. I know this is everyone's favorite word. We all love it. But this is where the conversation opens. And I've already referred back to the book we read by John Ortberg about spiritual disciplines. There is no way to practice prayer regularly without just disciplining ourselves to do it. Sometimes prayer is easy. Sometimes I look forward to it. Sometimes I just can't wait to get into the presence of the Lord. And other days it's just like, "Mm, I'd rather not today. And if I only pray when I feel like it, if I only pray when I'm motivated to pray, I will not pray very often. I promise you that. Discipline has to be a part of this. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4 says this, Train yourself for godliness, for godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That word train in the Greek is the word gymnazo. Ah, gymnazo, that sounds kind of familiar. Peter and the writer of Hebrews use that word gymnazo when they talk about our participation in the work that God is doing in our lives. He, our participatory word is this same word that the Apostle Paul uses to train, but it gets translated differently as different authors use it based on the context, but it's the same concept. This Greek word is where we get our English word gymnasium. There you go. You got it. Gymnazo, gymnasium. So in essence, what the writers are saying is life is like a gymnasium where you and I are formed in the ways of the kingdom. In Acts chapter 24, verse 16, the apostle Paul says this, that he takes pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. That Greek word, to take pains, is the word askeo. It could be translated exercise. I exercise myself. I take these great pains. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says we we are to work out, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says that we should cleanse ourselves from every defilement of flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You're like, Pastor Tom, all this talk about training and working out and pain is making me tired. It sounds awful. It sounds like work. And I would say amen, because it is. If we want to live a life of godliness, if we want to live a life of flourishing, if we want to walk in the abundant life that Jesus called us to, it's going to take a lot of learning and unlearning. 
It's going to be painful when our ideas of what's best for our lives start getting stripped away by what God says is best for our lives, and we don't want to let go of our old ways and our old habits. In the same way that when you start going to the gymnasium, you have to get up off the couch, and you have to stop eating junk food, and you have to start paying attention to things. Yeah, you, you don't want to do it all the time, but you're motivated to do it because of the results you want to accomplish. And so you go to the gymnasium and you work out. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives. This is why Jesus, when he comes upon his sleepy disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, says, hey, guys, you've got to watch and pray because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You've got to make prayer a discipline in your life. And it's hard. It's not always going to be easy to do. When it comes to corporate prayer, It's so hard to navigate this world of corporate prayer. We have corporate prayer on Sunday night. It's called House of Prayer. And, you know, how do you balance the the necessity of praying together? Because here's the reality. There will be no revival in this community until the body of Christ begins to pray together. That's the reality. But at the same time, I don't want this to be a guilt trip. Where everyone's like, well, you're not one of the cool kids because you don't go to prayer. It's not about a guilt trip. But somewhere there's got to be this balance between this sober idea that I can't just be apathetic toward prayer. I've got to pray with other members of the body of Christ so that the glory of God begins to show up in my life and in my city. Amen, Pastor Tom. That's good preaching. And here, it's the thing. If Sunday at 5 o'clock doesn't work for you, by all means, tell me what time works for you, and I'll schedule it because I believe until the body of Christ begins to pray together, we're not going to see revival. And I want to see it. I mean, I've been a part of prayer meetings at schools. I've been a part of prayer meetings at churches, with other churches, with other pastors in our community. Every chance I can, I want to pray with other people because I know there's power in corporate prayer. If one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. I mean, I know that that's a principle that, that God gave in the Old Testament for a different reason, but I believe there's a spiritual principle involved that says when two people begin to pray together and agree for something, that begins to happen. Oh, praise God. That's good stuff. And so we have to find that balance between how do we, you know, I mean, I grew up with people saying every time the church doors are open, I'm there, praise God. You don't have to be there every time the doors are open. It doesn't have to be this legalistic, if you don't show up every week, you're a sinner. But at the same time, we can't be apathetic and say, well, you know, prayer is just something that, you know, for the real spiritual people. False. Prayer is for all of the people that call on the name of the Lord. And if we don't learn to hear His voice together... We're going to make poor choices together. And that's what corporate prayer is all about. So when Dallas Willard comes along, talking about spiritual disciplines, he says this, Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Because what happens when we start talking about disciplines, people are like, oh, Pastor Tom, we're saved by grace. We don't have to earn it. You're right. We don't have to earn it, but we do have to make every effort to apply it. There is an effort that's required to follow after God. Now, the danger is when we make the spiritual disciplines an end in themselves. When we make the spiritual disciplines of prayer or fasting or solitude or Sabbath the goal. All of those are not the goal. The goal is to encounter the living God and bring the kingdom into our lives. The spiritual disciplines are the avenue by which we make that happen. We create space for God to fill. When you create space in your life, God will fill it. When you start disciplining yourself to to daily get in your prayer closet, God will meet you there. When you start coming together corporately in the body of Christ, God will meet us there. When we start coming in here and not just chit-chatting with each other or just enjoying the song service, but really engage our hearts and our minds in what God is doing and allow the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we can minister to one another, God will fill those spaces. But the discipline is how we create the space. Disciplines are really about the journey of becoming who we already are. It's the journey of becoming who we already are. We've already been made sons and daughters of God, but the disciplines are how I live that out in my daily life. Jesus was our example of this. You'll find it in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early, 
while it was still night, Jesus got up. Oh, he was probably a morning person. Doubt it. Left and went away to a place in the wilderness, and there he was praying. When do you pray? Where do you go? Because if you don't decide where you're going and when you're going, you will not pray. It will be haphazard at best. You've got to be like Jesus, and it's got to be a choice. In Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Often. Not periodically. Not once in a while. Often. In Luke chapter 6, I love this one. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. When your enemies are all around you, call an all-night prayer meeting. Don't pick up the phone and get a gossip circle started. Don't like go to someone and say, Hey, what do you think I ought to do about the way that these people are talking about me and what they're trying to do to me? Do you think I'm wrong? Do you think I've been victimized? Do you think I ought to... Get alone with your father and say, hey, my enemies surround me, but you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Sit at the table of intimacy. Then look what comes right after that verse. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. When you've got a big decision to make, call an all-night prayer meeting. See, it's not about praying all night long. But... Prayer has to be the focal point when we're surrounded by our enemies or when we've got big decisions to make. Don't just lean on your own understanding. Well, Pastor Tom, I was raised in Sunday school, so I'm pretty sure I know how to do this. And yet all through the Old Testament, we've got David going to battle. And even though David's been to battle thousands of times, every time he's like, bring the ephod, we've got to call on the name of the Lord. And he goes to battle and he defeats the Philistines the way the Lord told him. And the next day, there's another battle against the same army. And what's he do? All right, we know what to do. We've done this before. No, he says, bring the ephod. We've got to pray and ask the Lord what to do. And the Lord said, today we're going to do it different. This is what it means to lean on our own understanding. It's not about going into prayer so you can learn the pattern that God uses in your life. It's not about a pattern. It's about a relationship with a God who is alive that wants to invade every space of your life everywhere you go. And that doesn't happen until you and I are deliberate about getting into the prayer closet. Jesus lived such an intentional life, a deliberate life, and he expected us to do the same. Look at what he says in Luke 18, verse 1. One day, Jesus told his disciples a a story to show that they should pray periodically. No, they should always pray and never give up. In Luke chapter 11, verse 8. Jesus is telling a story about prayer, the persistence, the perseverance of prayer. And he says this, I tell you this, though he will not do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. He's talking about prayer. You have to be shamelessly persistent in prayer at times to bring the breakthrough that you need. Not just a periodic breakthrough. How bad do you want to see that person healed? How bad do you want to see that person delivered? How bad do you want to see that person set free? How bad do you want to see that person, that prodigal, come home? Then you got to get to the place where you say, God, I'm going to cry out to you day and night until hell of heaven breaks out in their life. And it's not a guilt trip of you didn't pray enough for that miracle to happen. Don't go there with your mind. But it's all about understanding that this is the word of Jesus. I tell you, keep asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open for you. And everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and to everyone who knocks the door will be open. And how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And here's the thing. We've got a crisis in our life and we'll tell everyone about it. We'll pick up the phone and we'll call friends and we'll pick up the phone and call our relatives and we'll pick up the phone and we'll tell everyone at work and we'll tell everyone, everyone we see all about our problems. But we won't actually get on our face before God and say, God of the universe, you're the only one that can invade this space and can do anything about it. I'm sorry, do I sound too passionate today? I'm going to tone it down. Pastor Tom, 
tone it down. Church, I, I, I have watched for years where the church has felt like if we could just get the right guy in the White House, if we could just get the right program, if we could just do this, and people complain about church. Well, I don't like this thing about church, and I don't like this thing about church, and I don't like this thing about church. And we won't pray together, we won't seek God together, and we won't cry out for revival in our community and live humble, broken lives before the people around us, and we wonder where God is. He's in heaven looking down, waiting for someone to say, come, and he is going to fill that space. And there is a remnant that is rising up in our nation that is beginning to cry out to God. And it's the younger generation that's beginning to cry out to God. And they're not going to do it the way we in the older generation like it. Tough. Get behind them and go with them. Because God is going to lead them and God is going to, he's going to do some things through them and we're going to follow them. Praise God, that's some good stuff. I didn't even plan to say that one. But here we go. The Apostle Paul, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Ephesians 6, 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Man, this sounds like there's a war going on and you and I need to get into the prayer closet to get the victory for the battle we're about to walk into. And that's what prayer is all about. And here's the thing. Everyone in this room today, I would hope you would say, yeah, I need to pray more. I need to pray more. And, and we would be right. But this isn't about feeling guilty or inadequate. Let me remind you that the Spirit and the Son are standing today both interceding for us. Look at what Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Even when you're not doing well in your prayer life, the Holy Spirit is filling in the gap until you get caught up. I love that. In 1 John chapter 2, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Day and night, Jesus stands in the presence of God, advocating, interceding on your behalf. Day and night, the Spirit intercedes according to God's will for your life. And I'm here today to tell you it's time for us to join them in what they're praying and believe that God wants to break out in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your home, in your family, in your school. God wants to meet you there. And all you got to do is create a space and he'll fill it. Praise God. That's some good stuff. Oh, but opening the conversation is not just about discipline in the prayer closet. Oh, I got to hurry. It's about 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. When I talk about opening the conversation, it's about getting prayer out of the closet and into your daily life. It's not just about the time we spend in prayer. Addison Bevere, in in the, the book Words with God, wrote it this way. Even though Jesus lived in perfect communion with God, he stole away for times of solitude, fasting, and prayer. Opening the conversation, therefore, doesn't mean we abandon our prayer closet, that place of private quality time with God. It means we also let our prayer life out of the closet into every conscious moment. When we show up in the closet, we become more aware of how the voice speaks outside of the closet. The only way we can open the conversation and start a life of constant prayer that unites our hearts with the world is by following Jesus' example. In Jesus, we find a discipline that looks like spontaneity. He was prepared for and present in every moment and for those reasons knew what each moment required of him. This, of course, looked different from moment to moment and took him from place to place. If you track his movements, it will seem that Jesus almost wandered aimlessly. But as we look intently at his life and work, we find a higher form of order. Call it reorder if you like. And he accomplished more in three years than we accomplished in a lifetime I love that idea of discipline that looks like spontaneity 
Jesus didn't just act randomly. He was led by the Father. In John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own, just as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, for I do not seek my own will, but I seek the will of the one who sent me. Jesus lived in tune with the Father, and I believe he expects you and I to do the exact same thing. In John chapter 8, Jesus said this, I do nothing by myself, but speak just what the Father has taught me. For I have not come on my own, but he sent me. So it's clear Jesus had purpose from the Father in everything that he did. He got alone with the Father. He learned the Father's voice so that as he went about his day, he knew what the Father wanted him to say, how the Father wanted him to say it, how this miracle needed mud to be applied on eyes, and this one just needed saliva, this one just needed spoken to, this one needed this. How did he know that? Because he knew the voice of the Father. In John chapter 17, Jesus said this about us. I pray on behalf, not on behalf of these only, his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their message, that's us, that they all may be one. Praise God, we've, we've heard about that. Jesus prayed that we would all be one. But look at this. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they be one in us. That same union with the Father that Jesus demonstrated is what is necessary for you and I to demonstrate. And as we talk about next week in our relationships with others in the body of Christ, if we're not one in Him, we'll never be one together. I mean, it's okay for us to disagree about theology, disagree about what this verse means, disagree about what color carpet we should get or whether we should sell a building or not sell a building. But if we're not together in Him, we will not be together with each other. Those things should never divide us because we're joined together in Him. So as we seek Him in the closet, we learn to hear His voice outside of the closet. But the church today has yet to learn how to be constant in prayer. And I believe there is a way to pray without ceasing. And I don't think it's kneeling at your bed all day long. You're not going to be very effective if all you do is sit and kneel at your bed all day long. You need to have a time where you kneel at your bed, but you have to have a time where you're in the world listening to the voice that you heard while you were at your bed. I believe that we can get our hearts in sync with the Father the way Jesus did, and we can live the way Jesus did. We would all agree that God is omnipresent, that He is everywhere all the time, and yet we fail to make it personal. Because far too many Christians live the secular, secular, secular sacred divide that we've talked about. You know, the secular things that are the sacred things where we pray, we go to church, we do all these things. This is when we talk. This is our God time. But then the secular things are all the other things we do. You know, God's not with us at the gym. God's not with us at the theater. God's not with us when we're out having fun with our friends. But there is no sacred secular divide in the kingdom of God. Everything we do is for the glory of God. God goes with me to the gym. God goes with me when I play sports. God goes with me when I shop. God goes with me when I go to the movies. God goes with me everywhere. His presence is with me, and I have to keep my ear open to Him because at any moment He could speak, and I want to say, go ahead, because your servant is listening. But I'm not going to recognize the voice if I'm too caught up in my own world, my own life, my own busyness. And if I'm not spending time hearing his voice in the prayer closet, I won't hear it when I'm out there either. Let me, I want to read one more quote from Addison and then we're going to pray. I'm going to give us time to pray today. So he says it so well. So I just put another quote on the screen for you to, to, to enjoy. When I first started studying what it meant to be constant in prayer, I thought the idea was ridiculous. It sounded like constant work. But eventually I realized constant prayer is a place of rest. It's not another form of striving. It is a rest of the heart, a holy deep breath. Such prayer keeps us relying on God and His vision so we don't slip back into believing we are gods with our own kingdoms to build. God wants to let us in on the great secrets of life. 
But most of us remain too distracted to see what's really happening around us. Our thoughts aren't fixed on higher things, so we lose hope and faith and love. Life becomes something we just get through. And the things that once brought us joy, marriage, work, kids, friends, now weigh us down. The Father wants us to open the conversation, though. When we surrender to prayerfulness, our hearts never stop sharing words with God. There is, after all, so much to share. Many of these words will be inarticulate and unknown to us, but they'll do their work. The Spirit and the Son are constantly interceding on our behalf, quieting the murmurs and lies that keep us from yielding to the Father's will, will helping us to surrender every part of us to the rhythms of love. It's time for you and I to open the conversation by disciplining ourselves to pray, to pray regularly, to pray personally, individually, to pray corporately. It's time to open the conversation and not just discipline ourselves to pray at one particular time of day, but to learn what it is to be constant in prayer, to learn what it is that while I'm at work and I'm focused on this, I've always got an ear towards heaven. And it's not going to be natural. It's not going to come quickly. But as we discipline ourselves in the prayer closet and we learn to recognize his voice, we're going to start hearing his voice everywhere. And all of those promptings are going to start pushing us to bring the kingdom, to bring peace, to bring shalom, to bring hope into what would otherwise be a very hopeless situation. In his book, Addison Bevere gives an example of what's called the Ignatian exam or the daily exam. And as you came in today, I hope you got a copy of it. I'm going to put it on the screen, but it's going to be really tiny on the screen. And so I gave you a little bit of a bigger version so you can have it. And here's how we're going to take the next few minutes. We're going to take about three minutes and we're going to pray. We're going to do what this thing says. We're going to pause. You're going to take a few deep breaths. You're going to recognize that no matter where you are, you are in God's presence. And this isn't just something that you're going to do today. You're going to do this throughout your day. You're going to take these things and you're going to bring them into your daily life and you're going to pause. You're going to pause when the frustration at work gets to this point and you're about ready to snap. You're going to pause and you're going to take some holy deep breaths. And you're going to do what the psalmist says. You're going to bring a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that I have this job. Thank you, God. Well, Pastor Tom, how I am frustrated with my job. Why should I be thankful about it? Exactly. Because you're going to start doing what heaven says, not what your flesh says. You're going to bring that sacrifice of thanksgiving and expressing your gratitude for whatever it is that's frustrating you in that moment. You're going to be specific. You're going to be genuine. And that's going to put things into perspective. Then you're going to express. You're going to express the request that you have to the Father. Every need, every desire, you're going to bring it to Him. Every struggle, every opportunity, you're going to just bring it. You're going to review You're going to review your day. You're going to review your week. You're going to think about the stirrings and the struggles. You're going to be honest about where you've ignored God. You're going to be honest about the times you've just kind of gone against what he's asked. You're going to be honest with him in that moment. Then you're going to ask for forgiveness. Then you're going to extend forgiveness wherever it's necessary. That's going to be the healing step that regenerates your heart with the fathers and with your brothers and sisters. Then you're going to look forward with God and ask for his renewing power to be with you. And then this is where his plans are going to be made in your heart. And then you're going to walk out of that moment aware of God's presence and goodness. And you're going to carry the reality of Emmanuel, God with us, wherever you go. And so that's what I want us to do. I want us to take literally three to five minutes right now. And if you need to move somewhere else in the room so you don't get distracted by others, I want you to do it. If you want to talk out loud under your breath, do it. But go through that list and begin to do it. Begin to breathe in and breathe out. We're just going to take a time of utter silence. We're going to do what this says. And then when when it's finished, I'll close in prayer and we'll leave from today. Does that sound like a plan? We're going to start now. I'm not going to talk about prayer and then dismiss you. I want you to pray. Take some time right now. Get alone with him and pray.
Father, help us to open the conversation with you this week. Help us to discipline ourselves in a time, in a place, to be alone with you regularly. God, to not just bring our requests, but also to bring our ear, to hear the things that you want to say, to learn to develop an ear for your voice. God, help us to move that conversation into every area of our lives. Help us to to learn to live what it is to be constant in prayer. God, rather than offering up complaint, let us be a people that turn every complaint that would come out of our lips into a prayer. God, help us to be a people that look to you, that cry out to you. God, that become aware of your presence even in the, the darkest times of our lives. God, even the dark is light to you. You are there. And we may not be able to see you, but we can rely upon your faithfulness. We can rely upon your unchanging character. And we can rest even in that moment when anxiety or fear or doubt is coursing through our veins. Holy Spirit, you can come with that spirit of self-control and cause us to fix our minds on things above and not on things of earth. God, I thank you today that you are always interceding on our behalf. Holy Spirit, even for the times that we've ignored you or grieved you or quenched you in our lives, yet thank you for your faithfulness to continue to intercede for each of us in accordance with God's will for our lives. Jesus, thank you that you stand consistently in the presence of God, making intercession for us. God, I pray for any shame or guilt or condemnation that would try to attach itself to our lives today. God, to be broken off. That we would heed the importance, the soberness of developing that prayer life. But God, that we would also recognize your goodness, that you're the one that's already empowering that life. So Holy Spirit, teach us as a body what it means to be constant in prayer. Help us to sit at this table of intimacy all week long. In moments when life is good and even in the presence of our enemies. Teach us to hear your voice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for taking some time. Uh, That list is yours. I'd encourage you to take it with you. Use it throughout the week. Um, You don't have to do every part of it. There are different methods to prayer and how it can be. Um, You may find that you want to use that in your prayer time, in your prayer closet, if you will. Um, But those are things to do throughout the day as well. Just to stop in the middle of our day and become God conscious, aware that he is with us in that moment and listen for his voice and what he might be saying and asking us to do. And so I want to remind you that out in the, the lobby at the table, the offering baskets are there. Information about our church is there, any of the books or booklets that are there. Uh, There are not copies of Addison Bevere's new book, um, but there are going to be two copies in our library this week. And so if that book kind of resonated with you and you're like, hey, I'd love to read that, uh, you can check it out of our church library at the downtown location. There are some books there that are available for you to check out so you don't have to buy them, uh, but you're able to use them. And so if that's something that interests you, maybe put it on a connect card and uh, I'll reach out to you when those arrive. So Thanks for being here today. Uh, May you become more and more God conscious as you walk through this week ahead. God bless you as you go.